Ever felt like the world is stuck in a cycle, bouncing between crisis and recovery? Or ever felt like you were in a cycle, stuck between bad habits and addictions? My name is Daniel Kulbedek, standing in for Kent Kingston. Today, I'll be talking to Brad Kemp, asking him, what or who can break the cycle? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, it's great to have with me today Dr. Brad Kemp. Now, Brad, you might not be fully familiar to some of our audiences, but the thing is you do work a lot behind the scenes. The magazine probably wouldn't really... Well, it wouldn't really exist if it weren't for you as far as how we run it. So can you tell us a bit about what you do? I'm the CEO of Adventist Media. So I joined the team here back in August 2018. Mm -hmm. So just over two years now. Came across from New Zealand where I was working for about five years. Mm -hmm. Since coming here, we picked up a whole lot of things. So one of the things with Science Magazine is I get to read it before it gets published. Mm -hmm. So I read through all the articles to make sure that they're up to our usual high standard. Yeah, we have you on the on the credits as the executive publisher. That's which it. Is the name that actually is on the top of the list. So yes. it's probably the most important name, really. <laughs> well, who knows? But I do get the joy of reading them all before everybody else does. So you've come from a background of a vast amount of experience mm -hmm. and you haven't lived in Australia your whole life. Can you give no. us a short sketch of what your life has been really? Well, I started out in ministry back in 1984. This is with the Seventh-day Adventist Church? With the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So I was a church pastor for five years mm -hmm. and then we went and worked in Papua New Guinea for 12 years. So that was fun. We had a lot of experience up there in a whole range of different areas. And then, uh, you know, our kids got to a, a certain age and we needed to come back to Australia. Um, they were heading into high school, so it was time to come home. And so we were in Sydney then for 13 years, where I worked in leadership and administration, and then five years in New Zealand. And uh, while in New Zealand, we started the television program over there called Hope Channel, mm -hmm. which is a national 24-7 national free-to-air program. And I guess that opened the door for coming here to Adventist Media. So with a background, I guess, in broadcast, they thought, well, who better to, to care for media for the, the broader church? And Hope Channel is still live over there in New Zealand, isn't it? It is, yeah. So for Fair. any of our New Zealand listeners who may be tuning in as well, there you can find that on free-to-air TV, and it's quite successful from what I've heard. It is, yeah. It has a has a um, a viewership of between one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand people. Yeah, which is pretty neat, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. Now <laughs> we get to experience worships with you every Wednesday morning, mm. and you do share a lot of stories from particularly PNG, that you mentioned that you lived there for quite some time. Hmm. So that's why I'm seriously going to tap into that knowledge uh, today. Okay. But So I wrote an article for the Science Magazine in September, and pretty much this article is based off of a conversation I had with my girlfriend. Herself and I, we were just sitting one time, and she was telling me about this theory called w the war theory, which she said is that essentially every generation is expected to face a war or a major conflict because of 
aggression or tension that builds up. Now, I couldn't actually find what theory she was talking about, and her and I started doing some research, and she'd heard about it somewhere, but we couldn't actually find a credible source that supported this. But what we did find was another theory, which is called the generational theory by William Strauss and Neil Howe. And it comes from a book, yeah, it comes from a book called Generations that was published in 1991. And pretty much in that book, they claim that every 80 years, there's four turnings or four periods of a cycle. So those four periods happen over the course of the 80 years, and then the cycle resets, and we go back to stage one again and go through the four stages again. For example, this first stage is a feeling of recovery after a major conflict. The second is a spiritual awakening. The third is institutions are dissolved. And then the fourth is a major crisis. So, for example, World War II would have been a major crisis. And then, you know, obviously in the 50s and stuff, we saw some recovery and like a feeling of hopefulness again. Pretty much people who read the book claim that it's prophetic, but they claim it's more like based on historical patterns and it's more social science. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there's any credibility to that sort of thing? Do you think we are stuck in a sort of a pattern of cycles? What do you think? Look, there there are cycles in everything, but just how fixed they are is the question, you know. In, in the agrarian world, there's the agrarian cycle, which goes from planting to, to nurture to, to harvest. And, you know, the Jewish yearly cycle is built around this agrarian annual cycle. You can look at the planetary cycle, you know, the, the, the way the, the earth goes around the, the sun. There's a cycle there of summer, winter, autumn, spring, etc. But when you come to social cycles, it's probably a little more complex. Mm. You know, I would think that there are things that happen and you come to peaks and then it sort of goes again. Whether it's exactly as Strauss puts it, I'm not so sure. Mm. But there's certainly some things that repeat. And in some ways, it, it may be a case of... You know, as the generations go through, there are things that are forgotten and have to be relearned. And so the next generation has to go through the hard time of relearning things. Yeah. Was that a sobering thing to think that as opposed to progressing from our past mistakes, we almost end up regressing a lot of the time? Well, I, I don't know whether it's sobering, but it seems to be what happens. <laughs> like, I know that those who like do not learn the past are doomed to repeat it. I know I was a, quite a student of the Holocaust and a lot of their stuff now is about trying to educate the young generation who probably don't have any contact with someone who was in World War II and making sure that the mistakes that were made there, which were quite complex, do not happen again in the future. So what you're saying does definitely hold a lot of merit. Look, and, and I think that's probably, you know, one of the central themes, and that is there, there is generational forgetfulness. Mm. And in a corporate setting, you have corporate forgetfulness. So, you know, you, you get new leaders come through. They haven't learnt what the previous leaders learned. They've got to start again. And so there is a sense of some continuity, but there's also this, this loss of knowledge that takes place, and it has to be relearned often. Mm. You know, you... You can't put knowledge from one generation into the minds of the others without it being learned. So I think sometimes, you know, when you look at some of this cyclical stuff, it has to do with 
the fact that you're moving from one generation to the next and you haven't got this kind of corporate or, or knowledge base that goes from one generation to the next. And so they've got to relearn it. So, you know, you look at what's happening in America today with the riots and, you know, while it's racially driven, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those folk didn't go through the the upheavals of, you know, a generation before. So it's all new to them. Mm. The same the same with the Spanish flu and COVID-19. We, we seem to be referencing a lot of resources, mm-hmm. even in our present day. It's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You look at history and you look at cycles. Yeah, th- there's some merit in it, but I think there's a lot more to it than just slavishly following, you know, this, this four-stage pattern that takes place. And there's always interventions that can take place that disrupt cycles. Mm-hmm. It could go a, an entirely different way depending on the circumstances. You know, there could be, like like we have at the moment, you've got this covid 19 thing that that's really impacting society now you you can't say that's a socially driven thing it, it's it's come out of a natural mm. situation but what does it impact it impacts societal structures and patterns it impacts the economies that we live in you know the, the way we live is temporarily disrupted the way we work is temporarily disrupted and you can say, well, how does that fit into a cycle concept? And you'd say, well, well, I suppose you could make it fit, but that could happen at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's not bound to this four stage pattern that's that's in the article. Mm, absolutely. So w- when we talk about cycles, it can seem a bit endless, really, that things would just start back from the beginning and over and over and over. Mm. Now, we're very lucky that we have a book called The Bible, which has sort of a solution or like a a hope for an end point amongst all of this. Can we just delve into that? What does the Bible describe this end point? Because we know there's a book called Revelation. We know there's a chapter in a book, Matthew 24, which describe an end point to Earth's history which talk about wars, rumors of wars, pestilences, you know, COVID-19, that sort of stuff. But when you contrast that against the idea that these cycles will end and then, you know, there'll be another recovery after this and then there'll be, you know, we'll go through the four stages again. There might be another crisis, but then we'll be a recovery after that. How do you sort of contrast those two ideas together? When you look at at particularly the New Testament where it talks about you know, wars and rumours of wars and signs and so forth. I read those as telling us or, or, or actually reminding us that we are living at the end of time. They're simply reminders of where we're at. I don't think they're related to any cyclical theories as such. So when Jesus said those words, he was saying, hey, when you start to see these things, they're actually meant to kick in and say, hey, look at the time we're living in Mm. so that we don't forget or become complacent Mm. that things continue on as they are and there's no change coming and that the breaking in of God is not going to occur. So it's meant to be a wake-up call, I think, for us and and to keep us grounded in the reality of, of a world in which sin exists and in which God's going to take um, action to bring that all to an, to an end. But the context of where we are in 2020, which has been mm. a year of 
bushfires. It's been a year of COVID-19. And then there was the, the racial tension that just absolutely exploded all over the world. How do we look at that in the context of the Bible? Is this sort of a good indicator of the sign of the end? Or is it more broadly, like you said, a reminder of the signs of the times we live in? One of our, our most popular articles in the last few months has been, does the Bible predict COVID-19? And how does that fit in with the signs of the end? Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I, I look at it. And, you know, there, there has been a convergence of a number of these things that have happened. So we had in Australia bushfires, floods, and we've had the COVID thing. We haven't had so much of the racial upheaval, though we've had a little bit of it. The US has had another set of circumstances that they've had to deal with. But when you look at these things, again, the scripture is really clear that we can't predict when the end will be. You know, we don't know that. All we know is it says when you see these things, you know that, you know, it's near. Mm. That's that's all the Bible says. So you can't be definitive. You can only take a look and say, okay, again, it's a reminder. It's just reminding us that we're in the time of the end. Don't get complacent. And the rest of the New Testament or, or chapter 24 of Matthew talks about just being prepared. Mm. It's all about preparation and saying, you know, if you get complacent, the Lord will come and you won't be ready. So these signs are simply, again, a reminder saying, don't be complacent. Mm, absolutely. It's interesting because when I actually posted my article on Reddit, someone random from the other side of the world actually commented that they feel like it's not that 2020 is a crisis point. They feel like everything since September 11 in 2001, everything since then has been that big crisis apex point. So it does sort of feel a little bit like we are we are getting close, Like, but we also know that the Bible says not to predict the day or the hour. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, reflecting on that, it may seem that way, mm-hmm. but for those of us who have lived a little bit long, longer, there have been several crisis points. Mm. And so, you know, you, you come to these crisis points and you think, okay, which way is it going to go? Is, is, is this it? Is, is this the, the, the initiator of all the, the end time things? Or are we going to go, using the word cycle, another round and come back to another critical point in which it could go this way or that? You know, I, I think the guys going through the First World War would have thought, hey, you know, is this the war to end all wars? Yeah. And then if you come to the Second World War, is this the war to end all wars? And then you come to other crisis points, or, or you know, you could call them turning points, or you could call them pivot points, in which, you know, the world could pivot this way or that. And from a, a biblical perspective, you could say, well, is this a pivot point in terms of Bible prophecy, even though it doesn't predict it, but could it be the initiator of or, or the turning point that leads us to all those end time things? Mm. So when you look at it from the point of history, and when you've lived long enough, you see the world ebbs and flows. So it goes up and down. You come to these pivot points or, or critical things where these kind of things happen, and then it tends to go down the, the other side. Things get back to normal. We live life, and then it builds again into something else you know i look at these things and i wonder what's happening and and whether you know it's the ebbs and flows and then young guys like yourself it's your first really big big thing and you think oh what's going on here yeah Um, 
but is this the the critical pivot point for for world history? Yeah, that's really interesting because when when COVID really broke out in March, my brother, who's like just a few years older than me, so we're kind of the same generation, actually texted me, "Is this the sign of God's return? Like, mm. is this the final sort of act?" Mm. And you're right. Like for people like me, who've probably nine eleven happened when I was just a kid, and everything that happened has happened since there has sort of been crescendoing to this point it feels like this is the big thing but then when you look at all the wars and stuff the you know world war ii the vietnam war the cold war crisis all those sorts of things were things that we really missed out on but i just want to sort of switch gears now and talk about jesus because in the christian faith jesus is perceived as the messiah who's going to be the one that comes and sort of ends all world conflicts by taking his followers to heaven So, Jesus' life was really interesting in that he actually entered the world when the Jews were in a cycle. Can you just give us a bit of a scope of what was the world that Jesus entered into and what was sort of his role? Because his role was different to what people expected his role to be. Yeah, there's probably another piece to that as well. And that is when you look at Jewish eschatology, which is their understanding of end time and and God's action, they had this belief that God would break in and restore Israel to its former glory or its its position. And so they were looking for this action or activity of God, but they didn't see it in Jesus. They expected something dynamic, you know, where, where God's omnipotence and power would be manifest. Mm. So when you come and look at, at Jesus, okay, and the time he was here, yes, Israel was subjugated by the Roman Empire, so they were under the Roman yoke, authority. It was a difficult time for them. And you have this, this thinking that sits behind the Jewish mindset that God will break in and restore Israel to its former glory. And so there were some who would have thought, I wonder you know, here's a guy who's doing miracles. Here's a guy who's making his mark. Is this the one that's going to do it? And so his disciples had this thinking, is he the one? Mm. And so when he's crucified, you can imagine all their, their thinking and plans are dashed and they're left completely discouraged thinking, well, what now? What do we do now? Mm. So this mindset then that sits within Israel at the time of Jesus. So you have the belief that, that God's going to do something. Now, whether whether there was a build-up of anything, I don't know. I, I think um, there was more aspirational notions of what would happen. But Jesus' death that you mentioned there is a very significant event for yeah. Christians yeah. for a variety of reasons, but also in how exactly it breaks the cycle of Earth's history. So why is it that people look to Jesus' death with great significance? Why is it such an important event for a lot of people around the world? I often look at it and I I see that that event is the thing that turns history on its head, completely redirects the direction humanity was going. So, you know, with Jesus... You've got somebody who breaks, as you say, the cycle. With Jesus, you've got somebody who steps into history and through you know, the act of, 
of sacrifice on the cross changes the direction humanity goes. Mm. You know, I've, I've often thought about Jesus, and, and you know, you, you, you think about Jesus and you think, how real is this? But, you know, you keep coming back to the reality of Jesus. You know, a real man lived a real life, died a real death, and was risen from the dead. You know, that's something you don't read about every day. Mm. It is significant. And, you know, I've spent time looking at historians and reading Josephus and Pliny and some of these other writers from the time because, you know, sometimes people can say, oh, it's just a myth, just a story. But when you go into history and you read these historians who aren't necessarily Christian, some are Roman historians, some are Jewish historians, and they write about this man called Jesus, and they write about the things he did. And so you've got real historical evidence that Jesus lived and died, and the New Testament's very clear, he rose from the dead. That's significant. Mm. So you look at, you know, why is it so important for a Christian? Because in the story of Jesus, and it's a true historic, historical story of Jesus, you've got the solution to the human dilemma, mm. which is what do you do with sin? How do you deal with this problem of death? What, what's the hope that we have as a, as, a, as a people? What's the future look like? And all those answers come in Jesus. Mm. Absolutely. And that what you just mentioned there, that, that his death gave us victory over sin. Now, when we not only look at cycles in history, but when we look at cycles within our own lives, say, for example, struggles with addiction, the struggle with sin, essentially, what does Jesus' death mean for us in that sort of fight against that sort of cycle? Does it sort of give us a, a hope to escape all of that? To some degree, yes. You know, we still live in the real world. We're still bound by our own urges and desires. But what Jesus does is he, he gives us the possibility of, of overcoming some of those things. You know, it gives us a different reference to those things. You know, for example, before I was a Christian, I might have you know, see no moral issue in stealing something from a shop. When I become a Christian, my view on what is right and wrong changes. My motivation for what I do changes. So I'm no longer about just what I want, but I ask myself, well, what does God want for me? Mm. And, you know, the, the, the gospel of Jesus, which is you know, the, the life-changing part of life completely changes your perspective. It changes why you do what you do. It changes how you use your money, how you live your life, etc. And so it doesn't necessarily remove some of the base motives, mm -hmm. but it replaces them with other motives and, and desires and so forth. But it, it changes your perspective. Mm, absolutely. It changes the reason why you do things. And that's why it also changes how, not only changes you, but changes how you view people. You view them in a sort of, in a way that Jesus would have viewed us with care and that sort of stuff. Hey. Yeah. And, and there's a passage in Romans where it talks about, you know, things I do, I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. And it's really talking about this internal dialogue or struggle that we have 
But then it says, thank God through Jesus Christ. You know, I, I'm, I'm saved and, and my perspective and motivation has changed, which is really what it's saying. And so, you know, while formerly I may have wanted to do this now because Jesus dwells within me and, and I've got a, an entirely different take on life and an entirely different reason to live and, and to be, my motivation's changed. That no longer is, is my desire or my passion. This is now my desire and passion. That's what makes a difference. So, so Jesus actually gives us a completely different perspective on life and puts different values into life. And I think that's pretty significant. So just as we finish up, just anyone who's, who's listening to this may be struggling with the concept of or hopelessness, really, that thinking about their own struggles, like feeling that they can't have victory over addictions, over victory over sin, really, or someone who's listening and is looking at the world, watching the news, feeling sort of depressed and hopeless, really, what sort of a final thought you would sort of leave them in? What sort of next steps they could take as far as learning about how Jesus impacts lives? Well, I guess the first thing is, you know, as you look at the world, yeah, it can be a depressing place, but also it can be a place that's full of possibility. And when you look at the world through a Christian a Christian prism or a Christian lens, you see that we're actually here to be of service to others, you know, to be of help. We're not here just to serve ourselves. When you look at the world, yes, it is a place that's impacted by the curse of sin. So you see death, decay, sickness, etc. But we also know that that's temporary, that God through Christ is going to restore things and things are going to be put, put right. It was never God's intention for these things to happen. You know, sin was not in his plan. So when you read the Bible, it makes really clear that you know, death's going to be done away with, sickness is going to be finished, all things will be restored back to peace, joy, happiness, etc. So that's the first thing to look forward to. So it's not just about now. It's about what God has planned for us and what is to come. The challenge is living in the now. So how do we do that? Well, firstly, I think we need to keep things in perspective. There will be these these pandemics. There will be, you know, we will suffer loss. And there will be suffering. Mm -hmm. But Christ is coming again. And when Jesus comes again, this reality will be finished. Mm. Now, what do we do with um, addiction and, and the day-to-day -day things? Well, I think we need to get help. There, there are people who are able to help us. We can't do those things on our own. And, and to try and do them on your own, I think, is difficult. Mm. So we need to seek help from people we trust, from people who, who have a skill set that can actually help us grow beyond those things and help us to become whole. I think the final thing is that, you know, living a life of faith is important we're not alone, and that God has promised to be with us uh, through his Spirit and to help us step by step as we work our way through some of these challenges of life. Absolutely. Well, that's an awesome promise that you, you leave us with there, that we are not alone and that essentially 
even though sometimes we may feel hopeless, we may feel depressed because of those things, that there is a hope for a greater future. It's been awesome talking to you, Brad. Uh, Hopefully we'll get you on again in the near future. But yeah, thanks so much for joining us on Signs of the Times Radio. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. It's been great to be with you and uh, to talk to all your viewers. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 